0: One thing that is so cool about our Leader Chats is the diversity of those we talk with. We are so fortunate to have access to great leaders that we can all learn from. John Hage, CEO of Charter Schools USA, joined us to discuss their vision, hopes and challenges and all that they have learned along the way. As you will notice, John is passionate about the mission of impacting the lives of kids and his leadership insights can help us all learn and grow. If you want to be our favorite listener, let us know what you think about our overall Leader Chat show. Rate us and leave your comments on your podcast provider. What you think really matters to us. For now, enjoy. Ladies, gentlemen, educators, leaders, welcome to Leader Chat. My name is Jeff Rose and as always, the the reason why this show is actually I just continue to gain gain momentum is because we get we're very fortunate to be able to recruit some incredible leaders that help our leaders learn. And the intent of the leader chat is for us to bring forward some very pragmatic and digestible information leader to leader. And this is a case very similar to some others where some of our members or colleagues that we have, have reached out and said, there's somebody that you, you have to meet that would be perfect for the leader chat. And such is the case today. So without further ado, I'm going to be introducing to you in a moment, John Hage. John is one of the nation's leading social entrepreneurs and leaders committed to improving education. He founded Charter Schools USA in 1997 and is CEO. CEO Built it into one of the fastest growing organizations in the U.S. with 10,000 team members educating 75,000 students in nearly 100 schools throughout the United States. CS USA managed schools have produced some of the strongest gains in reading, writing, science, and math in the nation, especially for minority and low-income students. Today, CSUSA has over 25,000 students on waiting lists, with 96% attending college or technical schools and a 95% parent satisfaction rate. And I actually could go on, but rather than me just reading about him, I want to just get started. And so let me welcome John to our screen. And John, thank you so much for coming today. This is going to be a phenomenal conversation. I'm excited about it.
1: Thank you so much, Jeff. It's great, great, great to be here.
0: So I I read your bio and as you notice, I I chopped it down. Um, Only because I thought, you know, you, you and I talking face to face in this way is probably more effective than me just reading about you. But I missed some things in your career. So maybe you can either fill in some blanks and or talk to us about the beginning, The You know the 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 narrative of why and how this started was it's almost 25 years now right you're coming up on a 25 year birthday so to speak so
1: here 25 years yeah
0: so there there is this initial why that this got started and we'll get into the the
1: story and success and growth
0: here in a minute but bring us back to the beginning
1: you know i'm not an educator by training Uh, my father was, my mother was, my dad was actually a high school music teacher, public high school music teacher. I went to school with my dad. I remember getting in the little VW bug, that's all he could afford, and Uh we went to school. And I grew up around educators, loving that. My brothers are educators. I'm married to an educator. And I thought, you know, maybe I'd be the one black sheep in the family to take a route a little differently. I ended up in special forces in the army where I could gained some discipline and focus and it was a great experience and after my military time I came out and accelerated my focus around education, uh, going in and getting my master's eventually at Georgetown University in economics and focusing in think tanks and actually writing papers around policy and um, for the Congress and for the administration and, and what I found myself doing is more and more being involved in the ideas that make a difference. Um, One day I got a call and uh, Jeb Bush, who was running for governor, actually lost his first election. If you look back in history, interesting, his brother was running in Texas and Jeb was running in Florida. Jeb lost the Florida race, Governor Bush, uh, W. Bush won in Texas. And Jeb calls me one day and I hadn't worked for politicians, but he said, have you uh, ever helped anyone like me think about new ideas? We're working on some good concepts. I said, I'm interested. I grew up in Florida, I came back, I had just gotten married and ended up working for his policy foundation called the Foundation for Florida's Future, became his policy director. And the very first thing he told me, Jeff, was go out and look at these new charter schools idea. And this was 1995. Okay. And there was only a few states and a few charter schools in the country. I looked into the research of it, I started to really, really love these ideas and came back and wrote a white paper, which became our legislation. Okay, so
0: you you and I have had a chance to catch up, and like I said before we started, I I know more about you than you knew about me, and so I've had a chance to kind of dig a little bit. Let's let's assume that um, some of our listeners, whether they're hearing us live or they're hearing this podcast a few weeks from now, um, t- tell t- tell them about Charter Schools USA because you know you have a very unique model. Uh, The growth has been substantial. Maybe can you just give us a a narrative of the schools, the mission, the growth, the progress over time? I, I would love to just set a base for the rest of our discussion moving forward.
1: Sure. Well, it didn't start this way. It started as a small nonprofit just built to help individuals with a dream to start a charter school get started. Because I was involved in the legislation, I was involved in the first charter school opening in Florida. It felt like, you know, I was early and so therefore you're the expert. It wasn't like I was Mm -hmm. an expert, but I was the expert because there was no one else. And what happened is I started to fall in love with the idea. I just, I watched these children from low income families walk in with beautiful new press little uniforms and families showing up and engaging themselves. And I was impressed with the kinds of results we were getting very early on. And I thought something here is different. Um, and I, I, I kind of started to recognize that you know, it wasn't, I, I'm a fan of public schools. I think public education is the greatest, one of the greatest inventions of our country. Um, and and it's created so much opportunity for so many. But I I, I I don't believe that a public education without some incentives, without pressures, without opportunities, other than the political ones that are often oftentimes actually measured against progress, right, yeah. um, can get where it needs to be. So we just started opening these schools for folks and Charter Schools USA came out of really just a social entrepreneurial model to help families uh, connect with education, not based on their zip code, but based on their opportunity to invest time, effort, and uh, get results. And so we basically just found ourselves with this social vision, a social mission, but also with a business application that connected the two. To do good and create a system that also could be sustainable and could over time grow to what it has today. And those things together are very powerful notions that have really inspired, I think, the charter movement to be what it is today. Not all charter schools are great, as we know, but what we've seen is that great ones tend to replicate and expand, and hopefully those that are not doing a good job get shut down as they should. And that's been the greatest journey of my life, this last twenty-five years, is being a part of this 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 movement.
0: D- John, do you uh, you describe this as uh, this social mission, right? Even from even from the the onset, as a social mission. Mm-hmm. Do you think that uh, do you find that over time there's a lot of misconceptions and misunderstandings relative to it being a political mission? I know politics clearly impact and sometimes really get in the way of things at times as it relates to education but do you think there's just sometimes some some ignorance out there specific to a political versus a social mission
1: yes i do and i think my my experience was early on i had jeb bush um and then t willard fair t fair was the longest serving urban league president in the united states in miami and uh mr bush different parties different backgrounds, different races, and they came together around starting the first charter school. And I think one of the reasons I was so inspired by it is it kind of went above politics, at least to some extent at the early stages. We had uh, a democrat governor signed the charter legislation into law here in florida in a republican legislature at the time um you know i watched what bill clinton did as a president he was a strong advocate same with president obama at the same time we've had that with republicans i do feel like today though that the divide right is not just uh, political for charter schools even though you still have some of right. like that going on that's in all education right everywhere so, I don't think there's a place in our life today, Jeff, where politics hasn't permeated, uh, most of the time in a negative effect. I do think that charters still are serving very diverse sets of families, uh, the demographics, the, the political leanings, and the founders of charter schools are from all walks and shapes. So I do think in many ways we still transcend politics, even though we have to still play the political game. Well, you know, Charter Schools
0: USA, from, for, from my digging, um, as you know better than I, charter schools um, sometimes focus on a particular theme, a particular focus that um, is valued by those that attend, the family, the community of the school, and so forth, or else, right, they, they wouldn't be there. Charter Schools USA is a very comprehensive model in terms of what you focus on, right? It's, you really have very specific model infrastructure, which is also the physical infrastructure, of course, the curriculum, the instruction, the family engagement, but it is, um, the way it's described is that you're paying attention to everything, not just one thing. Am I wrong or how would would we describe that to those that, that don't know Charter Schools USA intimately?
1: I think the way I would describe it is, and you're very close on that, is that we're a system of schools uh nationally and we're there to support those schools um we're there to provide them with interconnectedness not unlike what you're doing with superintendents around the nation we're doing that with our schools in a way where schools in georgia or in in north carolina or florida can be connected through best practices and and proven practices that's why we were the first accredited national system by Cognia because we were willing to really have those bedrock principles that were non-negotiables right across the system at the same time we're very uh customized in each community we allow for those uh, those families and those boards that are over us in those systems to be focused against the demographic or the needs or the even the individual needs of those students in those schools And we have schools that focus on different themes, schools that focus on wellness and innovation, science and health, and others that focus on college preparatory or IB. And these also reflect those community needs and desires. Um, But again, what we try to do is ensure that the charter school network that we oversee and support is the best at always innovating, always being one step ahead of, quite frankly, where even the parents or the or the students or the, or the data is, and making sure that we're kind of the 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 cutting edge, if so to speak, in the educational field, being in a place where we can always try to foresee—not that we can always foresee—but try to understand and be prepared for when things change. And when they do, we're already doing that work. We're already innovating. We're already in those markets doing things that maybe a large school system will eventually take on. And oftentimes that happens. So we'll collaborate with a lot of these same school systems and share ideas and learn from each other. And that's what I think charter should be. They should be a part of the fabric of public education that brings to bear great concepts with fidelity, uh, with research and with data that actually supports all kids. So let's
0: let's take this theme of, um, of of learning and developing and almost kind of ironing iron sharpening iron and fast forward to the last few years because mm-hmm. um, let's face it you know uh, it's been it's been hard it's been difficult um, I imagined that Charter Schools USA has continued to make progress in ebb and flow over the years but the last several have just been like phenomenal and just extremely daunting and challenging. How would you describe the the learning over time and what is the current status right now of your people, your kids, your communities and how would you describe that almost kind of, you know, in this post-COVID world that we're living through?
1: Right. So, it has been difficult and no one was fully prepared for it. I'd be Uh, misleading you if I said we kind of, you know, had everything ready to go and then this happens and you just push a button. What I can tell you is that the response time once we all did go to lockdown in that March right of 2020 was and extraordinarily fast for us. Uh, it even beat my own expectations as a CEO. I recall that at the time we were already doing a lot of blended. We were already uh, working with our, our our ed tech partners to use content in new ways and take best practices and best teachers and down down uh, load content. But we were also doing that in ways that, quite frankly, was uh, Kind of bleeding even into the public or even the private sector in the commercial world. So, for example, I remember a couple of weeks into this pandemic, I woke up one morning and I was sort of frustrated with like, how are we gonna? You know, we can't let these kids just stay home and 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 these pa- and these families not get what they need. How do we get teachers back into classrooms, even if there's no students? And we did that early on by putting owl cameras in the classroom and creating uh, content from those teachers and then bringing those kids into a virtual classroom and the teacher was safe and the kids were safe and then they could all see each other and the interface and and those things began to create for us post-pandemic models. So even today, we've taken that same technology and those ideas and we've bled them into everyday learning so that when a student's sick or when a teacher is the best seventh grade math teacher, her content now is available to those other seventh grade math teachers and so what we've really done is use the pandemic as a as a catapult to kind of quite frankly go into new thinking and new places in new ways that if it wouldn't have happened, I'm not sure we would have been doing that if, you know, we would have not necessarily put those technology in classrooms or gotten people to adapt to it in the way they have. And to for them to change their mindset to say, this is a tool for me, a, like a professor at a university would use. Um, now having our teachers look at that as a tool versus something that might be intrusive or, you know, they didn't really want that um, really has been a transformational opportunity. So. Um, sure, we're still closing gaps in areas. We're all struggling with the same uh, things that everyone is, but the difference is is that the mindset of our educators came out of the pandemic definitely in a much more uh, innovative mindset, more f- adaptable to technologies and willing to use ideas, um, knowing and thinking and believing that we could have all kinds of challenges in the future that we need to use these tools for.
0: So I don't, I'm going to try to, okay, I remember, you know, going through as an educational leader, whether I was a principal of an elementary, high school superintendent, regardless of the district size, I was constantly uh, struggling against like these misperceptions. It was almost as though there was a narrative that I was constantly bumping into specific to what maybe the public can thought of our teachers or our system or our structures. And convincing them otherwise was just sometimes really difficult. So when you will say, like you just said, it was really, really challenging and really hard. I think that um, it it really helps. I think that there's some assumptions say of public educators that it was different for a charter or a private environment. And I know for a fact that was not the case. I know that the level of challenge, um, it was shared. And so I think it's really appreciated when leaders will say it it was hard and it was. It, it was bumpy and it it wasn't smooth all the time. And we did have to figure things out as quickly as we could and pivot over and over and over again from a leadership perspective right now, as you're supporting your schools, which are your leaders. And of course the educators, the students and the families, what are you seeing of some of the the, the the kind of looming ramifications of it? You know, there are certain things
1: we could fix and innovate. There's certain things that it's just mm-hmm. going to take time, don't you think? Right. I think some of the looming indicators are that our teachers need as much care for their mental health, for their state of mind, for their balancing of family, work, Uh, priorities that we would have with the families we serve. So I think one thing it's done for me as a leader is we had an adage, we still keep it. It's called putting students first. It was something from the day I started the organization from the first charter school to the hundredth has helped us to always be focused in our decision making about what's best for students because we're only here because there's students in our classrooms. But what's evolved for me because of the pandemic is that if I don't have healthy, uh, um, engaged, supported team members, I can't put students first. And it's not just as simple as that. And so we've definitely evolved our leadership model to understand more and more and to build in processes, systems. And a lot of it really is having a mindset from the top down that we care, You know i I, at the end of the day we're all in this it's a people business it's people to people you can talk about the technologies you can talk about the data you can talk about all that stuff you want and it's important but education is a fundamental people business it requires people who truly are in it for the right reasons to engage and to support and to love on each other as well as support our children to support our students and to support our our, our schools and so what I really try to uh, um, help our team understand is that uh, I do this because I'm passionate about it I love what I do I wake up every morning literally and I'm like I love my I love what I do now I don't love every part of every day no one does but I I love my mission I live our vision I live our our values and because of that I I look for people who also have a common mission, vision, values. And I'm not afraid to say to those who really aren't bought in to these mission, vision, values, even in this great resignation, it's okay if you're not a good fit right this is this is a two-way discussion Um, we're we're looking for people who believe in what we're doing and the reason we're doing it and we're looking to to engage people and bring people on our team for the same reasons and so we do that also in our schools we're just really honest with our families and our students that this is what's going to be expected of you this is what we we hope you understand uh, that you're joining and being a part of and so we do use the concept of choice right as a valuable concept to help inform everyone that's involved that they do have a choice they don't necessarily have to go to this school they don't nec- they don't have to work for this organization but they but that we want to make it obvious to them that the choice is based on clarity um, and and then support them there's a lot of family-like environment in our in our, in our organization um, and, and that doesn't mean it's not accountable it just means that, we you know I, I teach people all the time and try to help them understand it's not enough just to have educational uh, vision you have to have people vision you have to care mm-hmm. about people you have to put people first you actually have to do that in your daily practices um and you have to practice what you preach you know this
0: this let's call it eq of leaders mm-hmm. right the ability for a leader to almost kind of rise uh, above and navigate this chaos and what i'm seeing is you mentioned earlier so much unnecessary and sometimes unfortunate political chaos that that somehow lands in the laps of leaders Are, do you see your leaders struggling through the same on you know wanting to stay focused on what of course their their passion is but sometimes feel as though that focus gets hijacked by these unnecessary adult issues?
1: Absolutely, and I think our, sometimes we share exactly the same challenges that a traditional system would. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we, cha- we we actually have our own set of challenges that are a little bit different or harder, and sometimes they do. And I have a lot of very good friends in, that are superintendents or ex-superintendents, we've hired many of them, um, and what, What they like about the system we have is that we can have this more um, um, uh, individual developed model where we help build leaders and we invest in them and, and we look for them to be with us long term and really sort of make this a long term enterprise versus, you know, so much turnover that we see. At the same time, our challenge is the same that they have, which is that people in general are resigning at levels we've never seen before. They they ghost us like they ghost anyone. They say they're going to come to work and they don't start. Uh, we see families, you know, that were engaged before the pandemic now, um, not as engaged, and not just because of maybe you know a work uh, life balance, but. Um, Maybe they just are struggling with how they can support the students today, or maybe they don't know what to do because they're a little bit behind. And so we are struggling with many of the same challenges. I think the thing we try to do that has been very successful for for us is we try to be extremely authentic. We don't try to behave as if we have every answer we believe we're in this with our families we believe we're in this with our teachers with we're a very flat organization Um, team members have a voice i have a teacher recently just wanted to reach out to me and i just spent a lot of time with her because we're now looking at how do we not only have educational excellence and healthy financially financial schools but how do we also um, bring civility back into the everyday for our students, and and bring respect into the conversation, and grow good kids, not just smart kids. And so we are, as we build this out, these are these are the debates of the world today. These could be seen as things we would like to avoid because that's hard stuff. Um, I think of that as opportunity, not as something to be afraid of. So you know what
0: i've noticed um in in research in uh, charter schools usa is that while while the word equity is a very controversial and anti political term what i've noticed though is that right clearly you have embraced supporting all students right there is this emphasis on giving students kind of what they need. I saw something where you'd mentioned doubling down for students that were struggling, you know, more than others during the pandemic. But regardless of circumstance, how do your school support students? And you've had incredible results over the last 25 years. So can you just talk about your strategy, your, your leadership strategy on ensuring that regardless of a student's circumstance, you are going to support them based upon their needs? I don't care what
1: word yeah, you use. I'm just
0: your yeah, strategy.
1: I look at it as um, equal opportunity. I, I think of these words. Words have so much meaning today, and every word seems to be have two meanings now. Right. But I, I think of it from the old fashioned sense that, you know, and I say this story often. Children, you know, none of us got to decide who our parents were. We didn't decide where we were born. We didn't decide um, our our gender. We didn't decide our color of our skin. our religion. These were things that we were born into. And children are innocent. They come into this world. And when you go into these kindergarten classrooms and you see these children, they're not looking at each other the way that uh, older society, that adults have become so divided over. So, yes, is it somewhat idealistic to start with this concept? that all kids, all students should have an equal opportunity for success? Yes, but no. Because if you build your systems, if you build this into your values, if you build this into your hiring practices, if you build this into your expectations, and you don't allow the soft bigotry of low expectations to permeate into these different subgroups, what you find is that you kind of push back because we do still have some of that in some of our minds. Everybody has some of these biases in there. And I think, well maybe we need to these kids maybe they can't learn well no it's just not true there's so much more we can do and when you have this sort of um fervency that students every kid matters and you're not going to let anyone fall through the clap crack you build those personally learning plans better you design your models consistently differently you look at your data and you go sure i've got 90 percent here but what about those 10 percent and you're just not trying just making sure you don't leave any of them behind And, you know, there's no cherry picking. This is the idea, right? You know, there's this political debate. Maybe the charter schools cherry pick. I'm going to tell you something. That's not us. What we're trying to do is, if anything, is focus on those families who don't have those opportunities, who don't necessarily, you know, they weren't born into uh, uh, wealth or income levels that give them opportunities because of where they live. Um, and 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 even though we're serving a cross section of students, we're off. Ob- we're always focusing on this this sort of unrelenting un. Um, non-negotiable deliverable, which is that all students can learn. And sure, outcomes are going to be different. Students are going to have different career paths, different success paths. But if you if you embed this into your ethos, if you make it um, a non-negotiable throughout your organization, your district, you can find that people over time will rise to that standard. And those who don't, those who still have lower expectations or who aren't willing to to support all kids really should over time not be a part of those systems and and you don't need to be worried about finding replacements when you set bars high when you set bars clearly people want to be a part of those kinds of organizations and we find that to be true as well oh John well said okay so
0: in in this time like you you said hey you are gonna create the, the the mission, the infrastructure, this is what we are about, and educators, they fit, or maybe they don't, but the concept is you have to stay strong to that, even during a time where there is kind of a, let's face it, a little bit of a mass, mass exodus right now in education. So that being the case, as you're looking for leaders, whether, you know, principals, I mean, a leader is a leader. So when you're looking for leaders, what are some of the attributes that you use as a filter to determine whether a person may be the right fit for you?
1: So I start with two simple concepts in all of my hiring. I look at people who have a deep seated ethos, a value system. Might've been the way they were raised. It might just be the way that they view world. Uh, it doesn't really matter where they get it from. And it doesn't have to have a specific clarity around, you know, uh, where you came from or anything, it needs to be more based on like, is, does this matter to you? Are you willing to fight for this? Is this something where, when no one sees what you're doing, the definition of integrity is doing the right thing when no one sees you, right? When, and, and that means, you know, are you putting in that extra time? Are you focused on the right things? Are you, are you are you not leaving any of these kids behind? And and that matters. So we've tried to focus more and more on hiring people who um, have this kind of passion, who understand education as a It is not a job. It is not a place where you just, you know, take a paycheck and at the same time, having a data centric, beta, uh, almost. And we overuse this concept of a business mindset. But what I mean by that is don't be afraid of numbers. Don't be afraid of results. Don't be afraid of accountability. Don't be afraid of of competition. Don't be afraid of any of these things that are in the real world every single day to be in the in the education world, because we will benefit from those things. But they have to go together because if you don't have people who care and they're just driving against metrics and they're just driving this as a as a job you 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 you're not going to get people to go further and do more. Um, but if you only uh, focus on people who are sort of got the heart and, the, and and they don't have the head, so that's the way I kind of look at it, right? Those folks are great, they they make some of our best teachers, but they're not necessarily gonna drive the administrative results, the the outcomes, and the measurements that we all are accountable for today, and rightly so. So I look at those two things as, as a left brain, right brain, uh, do good, do well, a head, heart, and and then we measure that, right? We put that into every piece of the puzzle all the way to the top, including my performance as the CEO. So one
0: one thing we ask, um, we ask our guests, and all you know, you've been very uh, very gracious with your time, but I, I wanna ask this question because I ask it of, of most people. We say in the leadership circle, this community of leaders that we have that the the term we stole from actually my pastor is circles are better than rows, right? And the concept is leaders helping leaders, and so our model is like creating this roundtable process, um, so that you know we serve a connective tissue leader to leader. But in the meantime, this is this is really the one thing that we do to provide this kind of pragmatic content. But if you and I were to pretend we're around a circular table with other leaders at the t- at the, with us, rather regardless of public or charter or principal or superintendent, they have um, a label as a leader. They have the responsibility to deliver as a leader. What would be during this you know, complicated time, based upon your experience, what would be your kind of brass tacks, pragmatic elevator speech? What do you want to leave our leaders with?
1: More than anything, I'm incredibly burdened, but also hopeful around the human condition and the value and importance of education and helping. Um, our human condition Um, the social trends I won't repeat them everybody knows them they know what social media is doing to our students we know what it's doing to our families at this point not just kids anymore we know that we were we're stressed against all kinds of changes in society and and education can be a place that's a center point it can be rock solid it can be a place where we do have values this concept that somehow you know if um we're not allowed to teach right from wrong i don't know where that came from i mean public education can absolutely teach right from wrong without it being even close to religious indoctrination or 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 something that parents have a right to oppose and that is Teaching kids to be civil. I mentioned this earlier. Resilience. We know the data out of Duckworth and grit. We know the information system model about discipline and self-discipline and being willing to, you know, put phones in their proper place and, and to not let the TikTok drive our behavior and to create a more civil society, but one that's also good. And, and, and this is not esoteric. This is not some speech on the elevator where you just say, hey, you know, we're gonna teach, make our kids good and not just smart. It's also the way we teach them. It's the way we behave. It's gonna require educators, quite frankly, to step up. It's gonna require civil society. It's gonna require everybody. And if we care about our future, if we care about students, if we care about kids, and we care quite frankly about them because they're gonna be taking care of us someday, we need to reconnect with why we do what we do. We need to help them see that this is an honorable career, starting with kids early on and teaching them that, you know, what we're doing is an honorable area. It's a place where we're, we're creating the, 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 the future. And I do believe that when you do that, you will bring people into the fold that are on the way, looking at education right now as sort of, too hard, not paying me enough on all those debates, and you'll change it into what it truly was. It was what the philosophers of old said, and that it was the place where learning was loved, and it was the place where you were inspired, and it was the place where we projected the future today by helping our students understand that they're capable of doing anything. Again, not teaching them exactly, you know, how to, uh, to, to or what to think, but how to think in a way where they could problem solve anything. I'm extremely Hopeful as well as burdened by this concept because I do believe that um, if we don't address it, it will take us over. But if we do address it through public education together and have common conversation and knowledge and leadership around it, we will redirect public education into uh what it is and has been, and that is the greatest experiment and the greatest opportunity for for outcomes that this country's ever seen.
0: Well, John, you may be hopeful and and burdened as you describe. But your your message and your ability to articulate it with such clarity and passion, um, I, I can only imagine is what has drawn people to your organization from students and families to the educators because um, you deliver it so well and clearly. And I, I find myself as you're talking, I, I find myself leaning in. I, I'm, I'm very, very impressed with your passion for serving and I, I want to thank you for all the work that you've done. I can see why you're coming up on 25-year birthday in terms of, uh, you know, uh, church Schools USA. So just just well done. And thank you so much for this time. I know that our leaders will benefit from our ability to kind of chat today. So thank you.
1: Jeff, thank you what you do too. I, you have an amazing background and you've dedicated yourself to this. And I say to all of our friends out there and colleagues, don't give up, don't give in. Uh, don't think it's uh, it's it set the failure of, of past uh, the future is so so bright and um, and I do believe together uh, we can co-labor and be teammates in this uh, this new amazing world we're building together so thank you Jeff for all you do Thank you John take care
0: Ladies and gentlemen uh, the idea of Co-laboring and learning from one another is what drew us to this conversation. I think John was phenomenal in his ability to articulate um, this, this hope and challenge, and it's one that we all feel it's time to lean in and learn from one another. And this conversation is just one of many that we've had that does exactly that. So we're so uh, appreciative to John Hage um, and his organization. And ladies and gentlemen, educators, leaders, thank you so much for the noble work that you do. Be well.